Welcome to a new season of Time Out with Lance. Boy, I've been wanting to do this episode all week, but it's a good thing I waited because a lot of stuff going down today. Breaking news. College football's back, finally, after what it seems like an eternity since Georgia beat Alabama several months ago to win the national championship. College football's back. We got the NFL starting in a week from tonight. Boy, it's going to be fun. So... I'm gonna, it's going to be a long episode. I'm going to get through everything outside of college football that's gone on uh, the uh, the past couple weeks since I last put out a podcast, and uh, then we're going to get to college football. we got a full slate of games to get through, so let's just grit, waste no further time and get right on to it. First, starting off in the NFL, so breaking news today out of Denver, quarterback Russell Wilson, uh, who the Broncos acquired in the offseason. Um, for quarterback Drew Locke and others. Um, he got a nice contract extension, which I think is warranted because the Broncos are, I mean, they're paying him to um, compete in the, a- the very, very tough AFC West. And I think Russell Wilson is the guy to do it for him. He's got all the weapons in the backfield and on the outside. Denver has a very strong elite defense. And I think they're one of the teams that's kind of a quarterback away uh, Russell Wilson is no doubt a top 10 quarterback, arguably a top five quarterback in the NFL. There's there's just no unjustification for this contract. So anyway, five years, $245 million, $165 million of that is guaranteed. And uh, he'll no doubt have his hands full this year going up against Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, um, and the rest of the AFC quarterbacks. But uh Denver's in one of those positions. Like the Rams last year, they added Matt Stafford. They won the Super Bowl. Of course, the Buccaneers a couple of years ago added Tom Brady, and they won the Super Bowl. So maybe Russell Wilson makes it three years in a row of uh, a team adding a, a stud quarterback, and they win the Super Bowl. We'll just have to wait and see, but very excited for what Russell Wilson will bring to the Denver Broncos. All right, uh, Deshaun Watson. So his saga, I think, is finally over. Uh, for the most part, he originally was suspended six games. Now it's an 11 game suspension, in, which includes a $5 million fine and mandatory counseling. This feels more like a just punishment, in my opinion. Um, virtually uh, the majority of the season, uh, the Browns will have to rely on Jacoby Brissett to get them through the season. And ironically enough, Deshaun Watson will return. Um, week 12 or week 13, whatever it is, against the Houston Texans, who drafted Deshaun Watson a few years ago in 2017. So I'm betting I'm betting the NFL did that on purpose, just knowing the way that it works. But uh, I'll, it'll be interesting to see how the Browns compete in the AFC North without Deshaun Watson the majority of the season. This I'm glad this is finally over. Um, it, it was just a long, long, arduous legal process that just needed to resolve itself. And I think with all, with this new suspension link going down, I think, um, most, most of this is going to be in everybody's rear view mirror because the NFL didn't want this to go on for very, I mean, the suspension is going to go on during the year. But it's not going to be a thing where he was indefinitely suspended for the whole season and then it lingers in the offseason. 
Roger Goodell and the NFL do not want this to take up most of the headlines. They're the shield. They want to just put it in the rearview mirror, make their money. Um, and they really don't want to be law enforcement and they shouldn't really be law enforcement. So with that being said, Deshaun Watson, 11 game suspension, the Browns, they have a talented roster, but again, with, without Deshaun Watson, I, I don't see them competing. They're not, I don't see them being better than the Bengals or the Ravens for sure. And I guess they'll compete with the Steelers for third place. But I think uh, Mitch Trubisky, Mitch Trubisky is a better quarterback than Jacoby Brissett. And even Kenny Pickett has shown in the preseason that, you know, he's very capable. He's not looking like a lost puppy out there. So bottom line to Sean Watson, 11 game suspension, $5 million fine, mandatory counseling. And this saga is uh, looking like it's drawing toward its conclusion. Jimmy Garoppolo. So he will not be leaving the 49ers after all, after he essentially got benched in favor of Trey Lance for, for the 49ers future. He is coming back on a one-year restructured contract. And with Trey Lance not looking so hot in preseason, maybe that's not a bad idea. But I just don't know how Kyle Shanahan's going to maintain. How I don't know how Kyle Shanahan is going to balance those two quarterbacks. And Jimmy G, flat out, the, the numbers show he just wins. He has one of the better winning percentages in the NFL in terms of quarterbacks. So I... What... I, what the 49ers plan is going forward, I don't know, but they have such a stacked roster that why waste it essentially on trying to figure out how Trey Lance is going to do. I know that he got drafted third overall, but if he's not proven and if at some point he just struggles, like you just need to put Jimmy G back in there. Um, and for Jimmy G's sake, I hope, hope he's healthy the entire season. Um, but that's just going to create, I think an awkward situation in the 49ers quarterback room. Uh, so the Chargers, they got German Derwin James finally back healthy this season. He signed an extension four years, 76.4 million. He is now the highest paid safety ever, ever in the NFL. Um, and the Chargers, I mean, they added guys like uh, Khalil Mack in the offseason, JC Jackson, the cornerback from the Patriots, um, although he's going to be out for a couple weeks coming up. So the Chargers are looking pretty good defensively to support Justin Herbert on the other side of the ball. It'll be interesting to see how they go in the vaunted AFC West. So this next story, it's been been in the headlines in the NFL the past couple weeks. Uh, Matt Ariza, Matt Ariza, the punter for the Buffalo Bills, he got released on Saturday. People dubbed him the punt god. He had some pretty nice punts in the preseason. Sixth round draft pick out of uh, San Diego State. And uh, the reason he got cut is he was he is alleged to have participated in a gang rape of a 17 year old girl um, at his at his home while he was at San Diego State with two other uh, former San Diego State football team members. And uh, the details, allegedly, the girl went to the party already drunk and. Uh, Apparently, he did some stuff at the side of the house and then uh, and then uh, took her to a bedroom where she was already unconscious and 
apparently the gang rape, the gang rape, the gang rape happened. Uh, allegedly, this is all in a lawsuit. Uh, the legal process is still playing itself out. Um, if this is true, this is just heinous. Just absolutely, absolutely uncalled for. Uh, this behavior by Matt Arase and the other two players um, definitely um, most likely will not see Matt Ariza ever punt in the NFL. Um, and if he's found guilty, definitely jail time. We'll just have to see how the legal process of this plays out, but just very, very gruesome, very sickening details out of this uh, lawsuit. Um, why, why he did this? I'm not sure, but uh it's an off-campus party. Um, things happen, but things like that. Even though the girl was drunk uh, and exercised poor judgment in doing that, drinking underage, still she did not deserve to be gang raped allegedly at, at a party either. You just you just don't do that. Um, and we'll again we'll just it's very hard to talk about these these sort of incidents because. You feel for the victim, and you want the legal process to pay out, play out, play itself out. But the details are just really gruesome, and I and I just frankly don't want to talk about it any further. So, Matariza released as punter for the Bills, and the Bills today they signed punter Sam Martin to take Matariza's place. Moving on, Derrick Henry, uh, pretty much unanimously considered the best running back in the NFL. He got a two million dollar raise uh, today. So he'll be paid $14 million this upcoming season, which will be the highest total for running back in the NFL. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, he started 11 games for the Saints as a defensive back, cornerback. He got traded to the Eagles a couple days ago, which bolsters the Eagles secondary. The Eagles have been just making a ton of moves this season. They are really, I think, my pick to win the NFC East and a lot of people's pick too. Um I think it's going to be two horse race between them and the Cowboys. Of course, you know, Dak Prescott may have something to say about that, but the Eagles, I think if Jalen hurts can take a big step forward um, with him getting his, getting his new uh, receiver weapon in AJ Brown, he already has Devonte Smith, a, a stud draft pick from last year out of Alabama, his second year, like the Eagles have a chance to really do something special. And J Jordan Davis along with uh, Fletcher Cox on the defensive line. Yeah. This Eagles team is looking quite nice. So um, I'll be watching the NFC East this year closely, and I'm going to be rooting for the Eagles to take down the Cowboys and win the division. So a few moves for my Texans. Um, they traded their defensive tackle, Ross Blacklock, and a 2023 seventh-round pick to the Vikings in return for a 2023 sixth-round pick. Today, the Texans, they signed uh, tight end O.J. Howard, formerly of the Bills, and the Buccaneers, um, OJ Howard. I mean, I think he has some potential left, but he's definitely lost. I think a little bit of a step, um, definitely bolsters the Texans tight end room. He's definitely the top tight end on the roster now, but, uh, then again, uh, his production, although due to injuries, it's been affected by injuries, but he hasn't been what he was built to be coming out of Alabama several seasons ago. The Texans, they surprisingly cut Marlon Mack, but now he is apparently joining their practice squad. Marlon Mack was one of their uh, running backs that they signed out of free agency from the Colts. And uh, 
surprised surprised that the Texans didn't keep him at least. But with Damian Pierce, their draft their top draft pick out of Florida, looking nice and looking like the starter, it kind of makes sense now. And they also ended up cutting running back Royce Freeman. And the Eagles, they made another move. Uh, a few days ago, they traded wide receiver Jalen Rager to the Vikings for a 2023 seventh-round pick and a 2024 conditional fourth-round pick. All right, that's all the NFL news I have. Now moving on to college football. Um, obviously, college football, some news before I get to my um, analysis and predictions for the games this week. Uh, Nick Saban, uh, he got a raise, and he will now be the highest-paid college football coach in America, $11.7 million annually, million dollars annually, and that runs through the 2029 season. That's kind of that should be given considering all the success that Nick Saban has. And Alabama's again ranked number one surprise at the start of the season. So it you couldn't really have it any other way, frankly. Um the Big Ten got a new seven seven year television deal with Fox, CBS, and NBC. So Part of that entails that Fox has the big noon kickoff like they had the past few seasons. CBS gets a 2.30 p.m. Central, 3.30 p.m. Eastern uh, big big time game. And then NBC gets a primetime game with Big Ten. So the Big Ten, the SEC is king of football in terms of quality. But um, in terms of revenue, the Big Ten actually makes more than the SEC. And this just puts the Big Ten, I guess, on another level. So over the next few years, it's going to be interesting to see the arms race between the Big Ten, the SEC, and and other conferences on how the teams continue to move around, get sucked into new conferences and whatnot. But um, this new TV deal, definitely a little bit more forward-thinking with the Big Ten and when they add USC and UCLA down the line in a couple of years. Moving on to Major League Baseball. So big news coming out of L.A. past few days. Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, has started to explore selling the Angels. He has owned the Angels for nearly 20 years, uh, acquired them back in 2003. Back when the Angels were quite relevant and back when they were winning World Series and uh, were perennial playoff contenders, it's been quite sad to see the Angels the past few years because They've had Mike Trout, who's been the best player in baseball the past 10, 12 years. And now they have Shohei Otani, who recently became the first player in MLB history with 30 home runs and 10 wins as a pitcher in the same season. It is just ridiculous and sad how Artie Moreno has been wasting that talent. Um, he spent so much money on Al Albatross contracts, most notably Josh Hamilton, Albert Pujols, recently Anthony Rendon. For just billions and billions of dollars spent on players and no, no playoff experience to show no playoff exposure for Mike Trout or Shohei Otani. Um, it's just it's ludicrous and ridiculous that those two players, those two generational studs, have to endure what the Angels have done. It's really set. Like I'm an Astros guy. Like they're in my division, so I'm I'm hopeful that the Astros, you know, beat the Angels. But it's just sad to see that those two studs just get left on a team like that. And Artie Moreno just spends so much money for nothing. His farm system is in the gutter and there's no end in sight for the angels unless they make an a change at the top. Uh, Artie Moreno just tends to override his GMs. Just, yeah, just I'm glad I'm just flat out glad that Artie Moreno is selling this team 
um, because Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and the rest of that organization and franchise deserve a lot better than a perennial fourth or fifth place finish than the in the AOS because it should not take that much effort to get the Angels to the playoffs, and yet it takes such a massive effort to do so. I don't know why, but I'm glad Artie Moreno is finally making a move to get to sell off the team. Julio Rodriguez from the Mariners. Um, he got a new contract, which is guaranteeing him $210 million and could be worth up to $470 million. So quite the haul for Julio Rodriguez. The Rangers, they got rid of Chris Woodward, their manager, 211 and 287 over four seasons of his tenure. And they also got rid of their GM, John Daniels. Um, the Rangers, after they got to the World Series at the beginning of the 2010s, they have never really done anything significant in the AL West or the AL playoffs. So it just makes sense for them to go in a new direction. Um, I have a good friend of mine, um, went to school with, big Rangers fan. Um, he and the and a lot of Rangers fans are just rejoicing at this. And, you know, frankly, the silver boot the past several years between the Astros and Rangers has not been fair. The Astros have been killing the Rangers. And it's sad to see at, you know, the Rangers. I mean, they have Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, superstars in the infield and decent pitching led by Martin Perez, who's an all-star. But again, they just have been mediocre to above average and they weren't going to get anywhere. So we'll see what direction the new regime takes the Rangers. Um, and maybe they, they go back near the top of the ALS, but for now, they're no better than the Astros by far. Or I, the Mariners are definitely better than them. They'll, they're not the A's, I'll give you that, but um, I, I'd say they're the third best team in the division right now, and the Angels are fourth, and the A's are fifth. But we'll keep an eye on how the Rangers do to address the rebuild going forward after they fired their manager, Chris Woodward, and their GM, John Daniels. So, Fernando Tatis Jr. suspended from the AMLB for 80 games from the Padres. Really sad to see substance abuse. Um, he's one of the best young icons in the game. Um, and you would think with MLB's, like, recent crackdown on steroids that, you know, Tatis and others would be adverse to doing it, but I guess not. So, yeah, suspended for 80 games. If he gets suspended one more time, it's 162 games, and a third time he's done for life in MLB. So, yeah. And Adidas also ended their partnership with Tatis. It's really sad to see because the Padres, after they got Juan Soto, between Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, Joss Bell, Brandon Drury, the rest of that lineup, that was going to be a scary October lineup for the Padres, but they haven't really done any noise since the Juan Soto trade. And frankly, yeah, they're not going to do much. And you won't see, and you won't see uh, Fernando Tatis until May of 2023 at the earliest. So, really sad to see one of the best young players in the game just go out like that. But you win, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, and that's that's shown through that 80 game suspension. Very sad to see. And then breaking news today: another 85 game suspension going down for Carlos Martinez pitcher for the Cardinals violating domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policies. Just um, that's all I could gather 
from that situation, but very, very sad to see. All right, moving on to the NBA. So the season kicks off October 18th with the 76ers versus the Celtics and the Lakers versus the Warriors. Um, The big news today going down in the NBA, Donovan Mitchell, uh, all-star player from the Jazz, traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for quite a haul. Um, In return, the Cavaliers, they gave the the Jazz, Colin Sexton, Laurie Markkinen, Ochai Abachi, three unprotected first-round picks, and two pick swaps. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players traded for Donovan Mitchell. But here's the thing. With the Cavs, Colin Sexton, Sexton, he's capable of 25, 25 points per game. But the Cavs, they already have Darius Garland, an, all, an all-star caliber player in the backcourt, point guard for years to come. Karis Lovart, too, one of the most underrated players in the league, in my opinion. Um, and they also have Evan Mobley, a stud, seven-foot slender center, and Jared Allen, too. So two, two tall trees to block the rim. And you add Donovan Mitchell to that, that is a very, very nice starting five. Um, Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, um, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley, and uh, and a nice bench. Yeah, the Cavs. I I, I think they'll be, I think they'll be fine. Um, Colin Sexton, he wasn't going to be his full potential with with this roster going forward, so it made sense for him to move, and then. Laurie Markinen too. They tried him at small four last year. It didn't really work out that well. Ochai Baji was their lottery pick this year. Uh, the Cavs um, was going to be, I think, a solid three, three and D player, wing player uh, for the Cavs in the future. I know Ochai Baji well because I follow Kansas, and he he was their best player when they won the national championship. But nonetheless, um, this this makes the Cavs. Okay, the core of Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, uh, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley. That's definitely capable of a top four seed in the East, but I still do not think that they are better than the Celtics, uh, who went to the finals last year, or the Bucks, led by Giannis, the best player in the world, or even even the 76ers, who have Joel Embiid, James Harden, uh, Tyrese Maxey, and a pretty good roster too with guys such as PJ Tucker and Daniel house added in the off season as well. Um, so the Cavs, they're going to compete, I think for a best fourth this season, but later down the line, you know, two or three years with this young core players, 25 or younger, they, they will be a perennial playoff contender. And I think in a couple seasons, we'll definitely be contending for the Eastern conference finals and maybe even the finals too, but that's the blockbuster trade that went down. In the, in the NBA today, huge news. Donovan Mitchell finally traded uh, from the Jazz. Danny Ainge is just getting getting his war chest of assets, um, kind of like the Oklahoma City Thunder and the New Orleans Pelicans. So Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs, and in return, the Cavs gave the Jazz Colin Sexton, Laurie Market, and Ochai Baji, three unprotected first-round picks and two pick swaps. Um, other news, KD rescinded his trade request for the Nets, so he will be back with the Nets. Um, it remains to be seen if Kyrie Irving is with them past the trade deadline, um, but for now, it looks like that KD, Kyrie, Ben Simmons, and the Nets are going to be playing the season together like it was originally going to be playing. This was just a huge waste of everybody's time falling, and 
KD is just straight up embarrassing that his request did not get honored because these days, you know, trade requests do get honored. But frankly, after everything the Nets have done for him, he needs to fulfill his end of the contract. Um, with it, with him getting all that money from the Nets, he just needs to fulfill that contract. And uh, yeah, like the Nets with that team, they. I think they would be better than the Cavs with all the, the, the core players I just mentioned. And they would compete right up there with the 76ers, the Bucks, and the Celtics with the big dogs in the East. Like, if they just play together and get cohesion, then yeah, I, I have no doubt they can uh, they can make some noise. But it'll just we'll just have to see how the chemistry on the court works out. And again, the NBA season starts October 18th. Um. LeBron James, two-year, $97.1 million extension with the Lakers with a third-year player option. Looking forward to the future. LeBron this week, you know, it's been discussed that he could play with both his son, Bronny, Bronny James, and then uh, his uh, his other son, Bryce. Um, that'll be, that could be 2026, 2027. That'll be another story to follow closely. And the Lakers, they made another trade. Uh, Patrick Beverly got traded from the Utah Jazz. And uh, in return, Taylor Horton, Tucker, and Stanley Johnson, I believe, went to went to the Jazz. So that's interesting because uh, Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook, they do not get along very well at all. And uh, I... I'm not sure how they're going to work on the roster chemistry wise, if they're going to run lineups together and it remains to be seen if the Lakers are going to move Russell Westbrook to um, another, another thing to follow, but uh, Patrick Beverly defensive pest on the Lakers definitely will help their perimeter game against the better guards and wings of the league. RJ Barrett, four year, $120 million max rookie extension with the Knicks. Uh, Chet Holmgren, the number two pick overall um, in the draft for the Thunder. He will miss the season with a Liz Frank injury in his right foot. Um, very unfortunate for the Thunder, but I think he'll come back strong next season. And finally, the Lakers retired Pau Gasol's number 16. Of course, he won two championships with Kobe Bryant in the 2010s. Um, finally, a couple points. Uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, the little, te- little league team out there won the Little League World Series in Williamsport over Curacao. And then Roy McElroy this past weekend, um, at 21 under par, he collected $18 million and won the FedEx Cup for a record third time. All right, guys, that's all my non-college football news that I have for you. Stay tuned for uh, all the picks for week one. It's so exciting. I can't wait to share my picks and insight with you guys coming up very shortly. We got a lot of great games in week one, and the best one, the primetime matchup for week one is going to be in Columbus, Ohio. Number five, Notre Dame taking on number two, Ohio State in the horseshoe. Buckeyes are 17 and a half point favorites, 6.30 p.m. Central kick on ABC. Uh, just an absolute banger to start the, the season on first Saturday of the season. So a lot of intriguing angles to this matchup. Obviously, top five matchup. Playoff implications now. Let's, before I get into my like team analysis, 
I will say, if Ohio State doesn't win, they're not necessarily out, but it definitely gives them very little room for error the rest of the season. But for Notre Dame, I mean, if they lose, then it'll be hard for them to make a case, um, especially if they don't have a conference championship at the uh, end of the season for, with maybe Ohio State having one loss but having won the Big Ten championship. But that's neither here nor there. So let's, let's look first at Ohio State. So C.J. Stroud, their quarterback's coming back. Uh, he's one of the Heisman favorites this year. Uh, along with Bryce Young in Alabama. Um, Ohio State, they've won 22 straight season openers, which is the longest active streak in FBS. Um, But I will say Ohio State has struggled in the non-conference recently, and I'll, I'll give you a very recent example. Last year, Oregon, even though they missed, they were not playing with Kayvon Thibodeau, who was a top pick in April's NFL draft. Oregon still came in, was very, very physical with Ohio State, pushed them around, controlled the line of scrimmage, ran all over them. And uh, yeah, Oregon pulled off one of the biggest upsets of the year uh, last season in Columbus. So it is not out of the realm of possibilities that Ohio State could lose this game at all. Um, Jim Knowles, I understand, was brought in from Oklahoma State to fix their defense. And he had Oklahoma State as the Big 12's best defense last year, last year as well. Um, of course, on offense to help CJ Stroud, you have Travion Henderson, the star running back, and then on the outside, Jackson Smith and Jigbo, who had an insane Rose Bowl last year versus Utah, and then Marvin Harrison Jr. coming in, son of Marvin Harrison, legendary Colts wide receiver. Um, yeah, so Ohio State, you know they're. When you look at Ohio State, you always think of big plays, big chunks, um, run the ball, but you want to throw it. And C.J. Stroud is definitely one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever come through Columbus. And that's saying something considering, you know, it's Ohio State. It's one of the premier football programs in America. So moving under Ohio State now, or excuse me, over to Notre Dame. They have a new head coach, Marcus Freeman, who is actually an Ohio State alum. And this week he was saying in press conferences that he was using the line of 17 and a half as kind of motivation. Um, so like I said, with Oregon, they were physical last year with Ohio state. I could see Notre Dame easily being physical with uh, Ohio state in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if Notre Dame was able to run the ball early on Ohio state, make Ohio state, uh, make their defensive linemen step up and, and stop him. Um, let's say Michael Meyer is arguably the best tight end in college football back for Notre Dame. He's going to be a matchup problem for Ohio State no matter what. Um, Tyler Buckner, the quarterback for Notre Dame, he steps in. He's going to have a strong running game to help him, so he won't have to outduel CJ Stroud through the air because if that happens, then then Notre Dame might get blown out and the, and the Buckeyes might cover the spread. Now, an interesting wrinkle because Tommy Reese was the off is still the offense coordinator at Notre Dame. But last year in the Fiesta Bowl versus uh, Oklahoma State, he faced oh, he faced Oklahoma State who had Jim Knowles as their defensive coordinator. So, you got the OC for Notre Dame and the DC for Ohio State. They're very very familiar with each other just having played each other back in January of this year. So, they'll be interesting to see the Xs and Os of this game to see who 
is able to find some new wrinkles and who can sprinkle in some new things that can throw the other off. So this is going to be a fun, fun matchup. Um, I I definitely see Ohio State putting up big, big chunks from uh, from time to time, but I don't think it's going to be like a 45 to 14 type of game where Ohio State just blows out Notre Dame and by halftime, a bunch of the stadium's empty. No, I honestly think that Notre Dame's going to keep it close in the first half and then the Buckeyes start to pull away with their talent on the outside in the second half because, let's face it, Ohio State, they have better offensive weapons than Notre Dame, even though Notre Dame may, they have, may have the best overall weapon. Michael Mayer, as a whole, Ohio State is still better weapons-wise. And um, Notre Dame also losing Kyle Hamilton in the secondary um, to the NFL draft. That's a big loss, too, and you can't just replace that type of talent overnight at a place like Notre Dame. So with all that being said, I'm going to pick Ohio State to get the opening opening night dub in the in the horseshoe, um, and I will call it thirty eight twenty seven, which means Ohio State won't cover the spread. Um, it should be a fun game, and I hope I hope it's a good game because uh, these guys definitely definitely want to put on a show. He's going to have some quick reactions to Thursday games. So Oklahoma State beat Central Michigan 58-44. to I have picked Oklahoma State because I figured Spencer Sanders was going to go off, and he did mostly in the first half. But uh, Central Michigan, they uh, outscored um, Oklahoma State 29-14 in the second half, and they made a valiant comeback effort. But in the end, Oklahoma State was back to its usual high-flying offense, um, Jim McElwain's squad put up a good fight, but uh, in the end, the Cowboys and Mike Gundy came out on top. Uh, the backyard brawl happened, and it was a very, very intense atmosphere in Pittsburgh. Pitt ended up beating West Virginia 38-31, to um, pick six by Pittsburgh to end the game. Uh, Keen Slovis, he played okay, 16-24, 308 through the air and a touchdown. Uh, JT Daniels. He did have a crucial interception late, but that was not on him. The receiver uh, just didn't catch a very, very catchable ball, and that's what led to the pick six that um, allowed Pittsburgh to score the go-ahead and ultimate winning touchdown in that contest. Other scores, um, Wake Forest beat VMI 44-10. to Tennessee rolled over Ball State 59-10. to UCF beat South Carolina State 56-10. to um, Penn State beat Purdue 35-31. to 31. Um, So, and Sean Clifford and Penn State, uh, it was a back-and-forth seesaw game. Clifford had four touchdowns on 282 passing yards and an interception. But uh, Penn State finally uh, got the win. And after this is their, I think this is their seventh straight season opening up on the road. Um, so James Franklin and company get the opening opening night dub. And uh, some other scores after that, Northern Illinois over Eastern Illinois, 34-27. UAB beat Alabama a and 59-0. Missouri beat La Tech, 52-24. And Minnesota rolled over New Mexico State, 38-zip. Any other marquee game on Saturday is number 11, Oregon, and number 3, Georgia. And this game's actually going to be played at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in uh, Atlanta. Uh, 2.30 p.m. Central kick on ABC. 
and Georgia is favored by 17. Now, I I don't know. That's that's a really big line um, for a game like this. Um, really, I don't. I I doubt Oregon's gonna get blown out by more than two touchdowns. I, I'm I'm sorry, but the betters I think are showing a lot of disrespect to the Ducks. And speaking of the Ducks, their new head coach is Dan Lenning, who in fact was the Georgia defensive coordinator last year when Georgia won the national championship. And uh, he has a bunch of Mario Cristobal's recruits after Mario Cristobal went to Miami. But, uh, you know, if someone knows the Georgia offense uh, on Oregon, it's Dan Lenning. And he knows, you know, you figure that Georgia would keep somewhat of the same defensive tactics because, you know, Kirby Smart is the ultimate really defensive coordinator as head coach. But that that's neither here nor there. Um and going back to Oregon, Bo Nix, the Auburn transfer, historically, he's either like really, really good or he just flat out stinks. And I've seen it both in person uh, when I was a student, like watching Bo Nix come into uh, Kyle Field and just on TV on other SEC games. Like I said, he, he's either like on top of the world or he just does not want to be there. And his numbers versus Georgia aren't that great either, so I'm not really confident that he'll be able to light up the Georgia defense, per se, on Saturday. Now, on the flip side for Georgia, Stetson Bennett is back as their quarterback. Of course, winning the national championship, making some key throws last year versus Alabama. Um, You still have an elite defense for Georgia, even though you lost five first-round picks uh, on the defensive side in the NFL. Um you still have Nolan Smith, Jalen Carter, and guys like that coming back. They led the nation last year with 10.2 points per game, and they were on pace at one point to break the all-time uh, points per game allowed record. Um, but nonetheless, um, they still had one of the nation's best defenses last year. And on even on offense, they still have Brock Bowers, Eric Gilbert, some good weapons on the offensive side for Stetson Bennett to work with. I, I think just Georgia, they're still the more overall talented team. And Bo Nix in a new system. We'll just have to see what he does. But uh, Georgia, both teams, both teams are definitely physical. I'll give you that. But Georgia, from the SEC, I think is just a different breed. And they're the defending national champs. And even though they lost so much, they're still exceptionally talented on both sides of the ball in spots. And with that being said, I'm going to pick Georgia to beat Oregon on Saturday, and then. But Georgia will also not cover the 17-point spread. I think it'll be closer than people think. Uh, one game that I will not be picking uh, a team to go uh, under the point total or under the spread is Alabama, who hosts Utah State Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. Central kick on SEC Network. Um, yeah, so Bama bringing back Bryce Young, won the Heisman Trophy last year. They lost Evan Neal, Jamison Williams, John Meshie III to the NFL draft, a stud offensive tackle, and a couple good, wide, really good wide receivers. Um, one of their receivers, Jojo Earl, he broke his foot, so he's out for a few weeks. Um, Jameer Gibbs is one of their running backs. He should should put up good numbers. Here's the key. Here's the thing about Alabama: their offensive line last year was pretty bad, and that it doesn't really get talked about a lot because. You know, Alabama is Alabama. They're near the near or at the top of the rankings all year, and they've been that way ever since really Nick Saban came into town for the past decade plus. 
like almost 15 years. But if the offensive line was is if if it's going to be bad like it was this past year and last couple of years really then Bryce Young may not be able to repeat his Heisman performance. Um that the offense offensive line play is so underrated in the game today. Um you know, these quarterbacks are super mobile, but they also want to be pocket passers. Like I don't think Bryce Young wants to be a super mobile quarterback. He wants to be a pure pocket passer. And for that to be the case, his offensive line needs to be better, and they just have not. Um, from what I understand, they do have a couple of transfer offensive linemen, so maybe that'll help, but it's no guarantee. Logan Bonner for Utah State, their quarterback, he's a mobile quarterback, which in the past you know, has given Nick Saban and Bama the most trouble. But you know, say Alabama's going to win. They're going to beat Utah State. Um, but the interesting thing to watch is, again, Alabama's offensive line to see if Bryce Young will be protected Ultimately, and hopefully Bama doesn't leave him in leave him in the game when it's clearly decided. Okay. Uh talking about a game now tomorrow, Friday night, 6 p.m. Central on ESPN. It's Western Michigan going to East Lansing to take on number 15, Michigan State. Michigan State is a 22-point favorite. Um so the big loss for Michigan State. Um the big loss. Oh, I had I had this running back's name, and I completely apologize. I forgot. Kenneth Walker. Yes, I should have wrote Kenneth Walker. Of course, uh, one of the the best running back in America last year. They lost Kenneth Walker to the NFL, um, but they do bring back quarterback Peyton Peyton Thorn. Uh, last year, twenty seven touchdowns, only ten interceptions. Um, and Mel Tucker, this offseason, the head coach got a ninety five million dollar contract. So it now it's time for him to step up and compete with uh, Ohio State and Michigan uh, in the Big Ten and really take the Spartans to the next level. But Michigan State had one of the worst secondaries in America last year, and um, Western Michigan is known to have a high. You know, they they they're known to throw the ball around the yard. So I think Michigan State wins. Um, they have a couple transfer running backs, Jarek Broussard and Jalen Berger. Um, they can, they can help out Peyton Thorne, but, uh, Jack Selipek, the quarterback from Western Michigan, I think he can put up some numbers versus Michigan state. And I do not think that, uh, Michigan state will cover the 22 point spread. I think this is going to be high scoring, take the over 54. Um, but Michigan state will win probably by 10, 10 points or so. Going back to Saturday slate, we have number 23 Cincinnati taking on number 19, Arkansas. The Razorbacks are six-point favorites. The over-under for this game is set at 52 points, and it kicks off at 2.30 p.m. Central on ESPN. Here's the thing about Arkansas. They had a huge leap from last year. Their nine wins last year was their most since 2011. So uh, Sam Pittman, their head coach, has made quite the turnaround of that program. Um, unfortunately, they did lose Traylon Burks, but in, their, in his place they got Jaden Hazelwood, a former Oklahoma wide receiver. And at running back, you have Donovan Johnson, Raheem Sanders to help out KJ Jefferson. KJ Jefferson could be one of those, you know, he reminds me a lot of Cam Newton, where he is just a bulldozer. Um, he's not a super accurate thrower, but, you know, he can make plays when he needs to. Um, very mobile, uh, very dangerous when he gets outside the pocket. So Arkansas definitely um, 
you know, still has talent. But on the other side for Cincinnati, their big loss, of course, is Desmond Ritter uh, to the NFL, four-year starter. And, of course, Cincinnati was the first group of five team ever to make the college football playoff last year before they got stomped out by Bama. Um, they lost nine total players to the NFL draft, including Desmond Ritter and Sauce Garner, who was a top three pick uh, of the Jets. Um, here's the thing with Cincinnati. Luke Fickle, he has a stable culture, and Cincinnati, get this, for the past two years, they've only lost two games. And the two games they lost are to Georgia and Alabama. Uh, the Alabama game is last year. So Luke Fickle has a very stable program in Cincinnati. Uh, he was rumored to go to Notre Dame uh, to take over for Brian Kelly, but Marcus Freeman ended up taking that job. So this, this game is going to be really, really close. And I, I kind of trust Cincinnati, even though they've lost so they lost so much talent um, to be competitive. But in the end, I think KJ Jefferson makes some plays late and uh, Arkansas comes out on top. This might be one of those years where uh, where Cincinnati kind of recovers a little bit because, you know, they peaked last year with all of their superstar players, you know, in program. Cincinnati is not one of those schools where you get five stars every year to replace your NFL talent, your NFL pipeline. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a rebuilding year. I, I still think they're going to win double digits, but uh, they're not going to beat Arkansas this weekend. Arkansas is going to take the victory next game up miami ohio at number 20 kentucky um kentucky 16 point favorite in lexington uh so so their quarterback for kentucky will levis um many people project that he's going to be a top 10 pick in the draft uh next year so this is kind of excuse me this is kind of his beginning of his uh draft audition to see uh if he if he's really worthy of being a top 10 pick, I am sorry. I'm, I'm really stuffed up. So I'm trying to fight through this as best I can. Please bear with me. Um, unfortunately he won't have running back Chris Rodriguez or Jordan, Jordan, Wright. They're both suspended and they lost Rondale Robinson as well. And so Kentucky's going to have their hands full a little bit because quarterback Brett Gabbard, who's the, Younger brother of Blaine Gabbert, who's been in the NFL for a while. Um, Miami, Ohio, they can throw it. and But Kentucky, definitely a ground and pound team, plays some good defense. They'll win. They'll cover the spread, um, ultimately. But uh, sneaky Miami, Ohio might make it sneaky interesting toward the end. Um, Troy at number 21, Ole Miss. Almost 21 and a half point favorite over under 58. So for Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin had to replace a lot of talent like Matt Corral quarterback. He replaced him with Jackson Dart, uh, I think formerly of USC, brought in Zach Evans, uh, a stud. Both both are stud transfers, really, um, for Ole Miss. Um, Troy, here's the thing. They have a good defense, but a pretty bad offense. Why do you why do I say bad? They were 109th out of 120th. 109 out of 120. Yeah, that's pretty bad. So Ole Miss, they're gonna have to break in new players, but they're still more talented. So I'm gonna take Ole Miss to handle Troy with ease. So this game could really be interesting. So 
Number seven, Utah on the road as a three point favorite, a field goal favorite in the swamp in Gainesville versus Florida. Um, so with Florida, you have Billy Napier taking over for uh, Dan Mullen, um, who could recruit but never could compete really with Georgia in the end in the SEC East. Um, but Billy Napier does still have quarterback Anthony Richardson to work with. Anthony Richardson's very talented. He's insanely athletic um, as a runner and a thrower. Um, and Florida still has a bunch of weapons on the outside for him to play with. And believe it or not, Florida has won 31 of their 32 past season openers. So they have a very good track record on uh, opening weekend. Now, on the other side for Utah, of course, Kyle Whittingham is one of the better coaches in America that no one really talks about. Um, really, really strong defense. Tavion Thomas set the school record for rushing touchdowns last year at 21. Cam Rising, their quarterback, definitely helped lead Utah to the Pac-12 championship and is capable of big numbers. But... The big question is, is Utah coming from the mountains? Are they going to be used to uh, the Florida, the Florida heat and humidity? Um, Kyle Whittingham reportedly has been turning up the heat at practice literally to simulate the Gainesville environment, but uh, that is going to be a key thing to watch. So I'm going to be bold. Florida is going to win. Um, in an upset against Utah, the swamp is going to be filled. The field's going to be uh, uh, covered with Gators fans at the end of the game. So that's just, I'll just take it and leave it. Utah going down in week one. USC finally supposedly back on the map with Lincoln, Lincoln Riley at the home. Uh, 33 and a half point favorites versus Rice. Um, They'll they'll crush Rice, no doubt. Caleb Williams, quarterback from Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley, they know each other really well. Jordan Addison, the best receiver in college football, arguably, um, comes over from Pitt. Um, Alex Grinch follows Lincoln Riley to USC as the D coordinator for USC. USC, I don't think is going to have a great defense. It might be average, but uh, nonetheless, they'll handle Rice with ease. Um few more games and then i'm done finally number 24 houston at utsa in san antonio both teams 12 and 2 last year um you got clayton toon versus uh frank harris in the quarterback department houston has better wide receivers um but utsa might have the better running back in Traylon smith who's a transfer from arkansas i think this is going to be a shootout take the over in the 61 and a half but i'll still take houston to come out on top due to their better wide receivers on the outside um then next up, BYU, 12-point favorite, number 25 on the road uh, against USF, um, over under 58. Um, Jerry, Gary Bohannon, transfer for Baylor, is the USF quarterback. But Jaron Hall for BYU, their quarterback last year, 2,500-plus yards, 20 touchdowns, five interceptions. Um, solid season, and BYU over the past two seasons, 21-4. and four. Quietly one of the better teams in America. I think the seventh best record in that span over the past two years. So give me BYU in the opener versus USF. And then final couple games. Um, I'm going to be going to this game on Saturday. My fiance is going to be in the opposing band. Funny enough, but they won't be marching. Sam Houston State at number six, Texas A&M. 11 a.m. kickoff central on SEC Network at Kyle Field. 
Um, it was announced this week that Haynes King was the starting quarterback for AM over uh, Max Johnson, transfer from LSU, and five-star Connor Weigman. Um, just makes sense because Haynes King has been in the system for Jimbo Fish for the longest. And uh, he showed potential last year before he, he injured himself in the Colorado game, and we got the Zach Calzada experience last year. But uh, AM, you know, they lost a lot of talent on defense, but they have some stud wide receivers coming in, some five stars and some veterans too, like Anaya Smith. Um, AM wins at a blowout. Um, their uh, percentage chance to win, according to ESPN's power index, is like 98, 99%. So I have no doubt. Uh, and Alyssa is a big. You know, she's an Aggie through and through, even though she's now a Sam Houston studying music edge. She is uh, still an Aggie through and through being being here for uh, over three years. So um, hope she dons a Aggie t-shirt. If you're listening, listen, don an Aggie t-shirt. Um, so I'll be there. Uh, we should enjoy the game and AM should come out on top over Sam Houston pretty easily. And then Florida State LSU. So two story programs that are not ranked uh, going at in Death Valley on Saturday. This is Brian Kelly's LSU debut. And uh, I think I think he will beat Florida State. And going back real quick to the Cincinnati and Arkansas game, um, historically, I found another stat that I did failed to mention. Cincinnati historically against SEC teams six thirty eight and one six wins thirty eight losses and one tie. So that just kind of gives you an idea. Um, considering how they got pushed around by Bama last year in the playoff game, um, I have my concerns. Uh, against Arkansas. So Arkansas wins, like I said, um, and that just reinforces that Cincinnati is going to have their hands full versus an SEC school. Okay, guys, that is it for week one uh, college football. Um, I'm back a new season. Um, I'm going to try to sound better. Um, my nose has been plugged up all day. I haven't been feeling the best. Um, but uh, glad you guys are able to check out the show, stick around for this. Um I really do appreciate all the support um, this season. You're going to get my football picks every single week, both both uh, college and pro football, which kicks off next Thursday night when the Bills play the LA Rams. That's going to be a fun matchup on Thursday night football. So next week we'll get my first NFL uh, predictions, probably hopefully on Tuesday to get Thursday night blockbuster in uh, through every all the games Thursday night through Monday night. And uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. So. Uh, Buckle up. It's going to be a fun season of football. Uh, it's going to be a wild ride, and uh, can't can't wait to spin it with you guys. So thanks for supporting. Check out uh, anchor.fm slash Lance Sampson to support the show. Tell your friends and family about the podcast. Really do appreciate the support. And until next time, have an awesome day or night whenever you listen to it, and I'll talk to you next time. Take care. Bye.